All right, we're going to get started. Hey, let me just uh, begin by saying uh, how excited I am that, that you are here. I've named uh, this class Man to Man. Uh, I just want to have some uh, open and, and honest and direct uh, discussions with you. I want to let you know that nothing is off limits in this class. Nothing is off limits. Um, you can ask me anything that you want whether it pertains to the, to the lesson or doesn't pertain to the lesson, at, when I give you that opportunity. Uh, uh, and there are no dumb questions. Now, I may give you a dumb answer uh, to your question, but there are no dumb questions. Uh, we're all at a, at a different place on our journey, and uh, we're all at different seasons of life. So I, I want you to know that I, I'm not setting myself up as some kind of all-knowing or superstar person or the man with all the answers or anything like that. Uh, I am a person. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a grandfather. Actually, I'm a pawpaw. There is a big difference in a, in a grandpa and a, and, and a pawpaw. Uh, before my uh, kids, my children had had their kids and gave me grandbabies, I, I schooled them on what I wanted to be called. And uh, I said, I'm too, too young and I'm too hip uh, to be a grandpa. So I want to be a pawpaw. So you make sure and when those kids get here, you teach them to call me pawpaw. And uh, so one day I was going through all that nonsense with my son. And my son, Chad, said, no, Dad, I've got it figured out. He pointed at my wife, and he said, she's going to be Mimi, and you're going to be Pee-Pee. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness I didn't turn out Pee-Pee. I am a, a, a husband, a father, a papa, a brother, a son, or at least I was. I guess I'm still a son, right? My dad's in heaven, but I guess I'm still... A son, a, a friend, uh, a boss. Uh, I, I didn't and I'm not doing everything right in all of these areas because no one bats a thousand. No one bats a thousand. Um, and uh, I'm willing to share my successes and my failures, um, my strengths as well as my weaknesses. So uh, I'm willing to be very vulnerable. I'm willing to be very transparent uh, with you, willing to share with you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Now, much of what I will have to say, much that I will share, I've shared before. If you've been around the Grace Place, some of you, there's Ricky Lewis sitting back here. I just see him. I've been here almost 16 years. He's been here a whole lot longer than that. So much that I have to share, uh, I've shared before, and much of what I will share, uh, uh, you already know. You already know it. Um, But there are many of you, probably at least a third of you, that have never heard any of the things that I'm going to share. Uh, And and, uh, uh, for some of you, and those of you that have, you probably need a reminder probably need a reminder of these things, and that's why uh, that you're here today. You see, it's not what we don't know that gives us the most trouble. It's not what we don't know that gives us the most trouble. It's what we do know, but we don't do, right? So it's not that i got to teach you something or tell you something that you don't already know. I just kind of might need to give you a little reminder because the biggest problem is not the things that we don't know, but it's the things that we do know, the things that we know we ought to be doing, we ought to be be happening in our lives that just is not happening. The Bible says, he that knows what to do and does not do it, to him it's what? It's sin. A famous pastor, and I would tell you his name if I could remember, but I do remember hearing him say once that it's not those hard-to-understand passages in, in Scripture that give me the most trouble. 
And you know, there are some really difficult passages in the Bible. There's some really weird passages in the Bible. There's some strange stuff in that book. How many would, if you don't know that, it's because you ain't read it. You get in that Old Testament, especially, you get in that Old Testament, there's some strange stuff. There's some weird stuff in there. But this pastor said, it's not those hard-to-understand passages in Scripture that give me the most trouble. He said, it's the ones that I do understand, but I don't want to follow. I don't want to obey. Those are the ones that give me the most trouble. Those are the ones that I struggle with the most. Well, today's uh, lesson subtitle is The Man and His Manhood. The Man and His Manhood. So let's go to our notes. Um, before a, a man can become a better husband, before he can become a better father, before he can become a better friend, or anything else in life, he must first become a better man. Um, until the man changes, everything else is going to stay the same. Agree? Until the man changes, everything else stays the same. You know, we might read books about marriage or books about parenting or we might listen to lessons or go to seminars or go to classes trying to become a better husband, trying to become a better father. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why does it not work? Well, because before you can become a better husband, before you can become a better father, before you can become a better grandfather, you must first become a better you, a better man. See, the common denominator in a husband, a father, a grandfather, a friend is what? You, the man. So if you have issues as a man then those issues are going to follow you into every position you hold. They're going to follow you into your marriage, follow you into your being a father, being a grandfather. Every position you hold in every season of life. Why? Because the issue is not the position you hold. It's not the season of life you're in. The issue is you. I'm glad you came out tonight. Yeah, the issue is you. Change you and everything else changes automatically. Would you agree? Remember the old adage, you know, if Mike and Jim have a problem, Mike and Jack have a problem, Mike and Jason have a problem, Mike and Jerry have a problem, who's the problem? Before we can become a better husband or father or grandfather or boss or friend or whatever, we must first become a better man. If you become a better man, I've already said it, but for emphasis, to become a better man, you will automatically, or if you become a better man, you will automatically become a better husband, father, grandfather, friend, boss, on and on and on the list goes. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need some training in the area of marriage. doesn't mean we don't need to understand marriage and understand uh, the opposite sex and understand some do's and don'ts and some things that we've learned. It doesn't mean that we don't learn some things about each pos uh, position in life. It doesn't mean we don't need to learn how to be a father and learn some ins and outs of fatherhood. We do, but it all begins with us. Begins with us. You know, if you were going to build a house, you wouldn't begin by building the roof. Right? You wouldn't begin by building the walls. Where do you start? Yeah. You begin with foundation. Begin with the foundation. And no matter how beautiful the house may appear to be, that house is only as strong as its foundation. So let me talk to you a little bit about how to become a better man. There are three things that you need to know. I'm not saying that's all you need to know, but there are three things that you need to know in order to become the best you that you can 
can be. Um, most men love competition. How many of you love competition? Most men love competition. I'm, <laughs> I'm known as a very competitive person. <laughs> uh, I try to control this. <laughs> I try to disguise it, <laughs> at least at first. Uh, but it leaks out. <laughs> it, it, it leaks out. Um, I've got some men that I love to play golf with, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll tell, especially one certain individual I play golf with sometimes, I will show up at the golf course, and I'll put my hand on his shoulder. I say, man, I hope you have a great day today. I mean, I hope you hit the ball well today. I, I, hope, I hope you shoot 79 today. And I shoot 78. <laughs> it just leaks out. I mean, I'm, it just, just that way. Um, you know, I don't let my grandkids beat me at, at cards, you know. You know, a lot, 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 of, lot of grandpas, papas, whatever, they, you know, they, you know, it's the kid, you know. It's the grandkid. Let them win. No, sir. No. You, you beat me. You're going to beat me. Straight up, you know. Glenn, uh, uh, uh. Sorry with my granddaughter, you know, uh, Eliana, you know. Uh, you know, just how old is she now? I've already forgot. Seven? I was going to say, I knew, I knew seven or eight. I'm sorry. I, I do know, but I just had a grandpa moment right there. I was a grandpa right there. You know, and uh, so, you know, we, uh, how long do we play? Till I win. That's how long we play. We play till I when I was playing dominoes with my wife one day, and you know, and uh, you know, it was a, I don't know why you don't have to have a reason to play dominoes with your wife, but we were just playing dominoes, and she kept beating me, so we kept playing. We played till I won, and after I won, I declared that was the championship game. Now, she won four games, I won one, but I'm the champion because that was the championship game, and there's no rematch. A little bit competitive. Here's the deal. We should be competitive, but not necessarily with one another. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, it's not wise to compare yourself with another. Not wise to compare yourself with one another. Um, we can uh, we should compare ourselves not with someone else, but with two people. First of all, we should compare ourselves with Jesus. You know, we say, "Well, I'm better than so and so." Yeah, but how are you with Jesus? You know, and how are you with His Word and what He? What, what he, you know, asks of you. We should compare ourselves with, with the Lord and with what he uh, talks about in his word. And second, we should compare ourselves with ourselves and uh, who God has called us to be and who God uh, wants us to be. Uh, how many know imitations are always cheaper than the original? Imitations are always cheaper than the original. Mo- you know, most men settle for being an imitation. Um, they were born an original, you know. No one like you anywhere in the world. Now, there may be somebody that looks similar to you, and maybe even eerie similar, but no two fingerprints are alike, right? You know, I mean, there's no... You are God made you an original, but most men die a carbon copy. Born an original, die a carbon copy. Uh, you know it's okay to have a hero. How many have a hero, or you had a hero when you're growing up, or yeah, it's okay to have a hero. It's okay to have a mentor. Good to have a mentor, but you are not that person. You might look up to them, you might respect them, you might want to adapt some of their philosophies or some of their 
uh, ways of, of, of living life, but, but you're not that, not that person. You know, I can be a much better Mike Benson than I can be an imitation of Joel Osteen, which can you imagine me as a Joel Osteen? <laughs> I can be a much better Mike Benson than an imitation of Joel Osteen or an Andy Stanley or a Robert Morris or any other high-profile minister. Most men settle for being an imitation of some other man, and that is one of the reasons why they're dissatisfied and why they are unfulfilled. So I want to give you three things that you need in order to discover, uh, or in order to discover, in order to become a better you, a better man. Let me say that again. Three things you will need to discover in order to become a better you, a better man. Man, the first thing you need to discover, and it's all we're going to talk about tonight. I, I, I put this together. I was going to talk about all three of these, but this first one got too long, and and I'm not going to keep you a long time. I'm going to like that kind of teaching, huh? And all three of these uh, uh, deserve uh, ample time, so we're just going to talk about the first one tonight. And uh, the first thing is that you need to discover whose you are, whose you are. Not who you are, whose. Discover whose you are. Um, hey, Dwayne just came in. If somebody's got those notes, give Dwayne those. You know, most men, sadly, get their self-worth from what they do. Most men get their self-worth from what they do. Their vocation or life's work is where they find validation. Problem comes when they get laid off. Uh, Or their business goes bankrupt. Um, Or they get a demotion. And their authority is taken away from them at work. And so now they feel like a failure because their self-worth was tied up to their job or their position or what they do. You know, some men die, literally die, shortly after retirement. I mean, they've worked all these years, and they look forward to that, you know, gold watch and that golden parachute and, and no more alarm clock, you know, and all of this. And they reach retirement, and so, some men die shortly after retirement because they lose the will to live because their self-worth was tied to what they did. And all of a sudden, they have no purpose. And so now they no longer do whatever it was that they did that brought purpose, that brought fulfillment, that brought self-worth to them, and so they just lay down and die. Paul Bear Bryant, the legendary coach of Alabama, said, he said, if I ever quit coaching, he said, I'll be dead in six months. Well, what'd you quit for? (laughs) Because six weeks, six weeks after he retired from coaching, he died. Most men get their self-worth from what they do. But this is not where we should get our self-worth. What you do is not who you are. Say, what I do is not who I am. Say it again. What I do is not who I am. I didn't say it wasn't important. I didn't say it would not bring you purpose, fulfillment, I didn't, but it's not who, who you are. Let me help make you a better man. Get your self-worth from knowing whose you are. Whose you are. And whose you are, <laughs> you're God's creation. You're God's creation. 
But even more than that, you are his prized and cherished creation. The Bible says that when God made the sun and the moon and the stars, that he looked at what he had created. And the Bible says that God said, this is good. But it says that when God made man, God looked at man and he said, this is very good. God said, this is, he looked at man and he said, this is, this is very good. He said, this is, this is cool. God said, I really did out, I, I outdid myself on this one. Genesis chapter 1, and here's why, because Genesis chapter 1 says that God created man. Who created man? God created man. And it says that he created man in his own image or likeness. No wonder he did very good. You are valuable because of whose you are. Isaiah chapter 44 and Isaiah chapter 49 and Jeremiah chapter 1. All of these tells us that God knew us before we were ever born or even conceived. That's hard to get your mind around that, isn't it? But God's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. When we were just... A seed in our mother's womb. God wrote down every detail of our life. Now, abortionists try to tell us it's just a blob of tissue that has no life or meaning or purpose. God says, you're mine. And I have a plan for you. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 18. It's a lengthy passage, but it's all good, so I've got to read it. The psalmist writes in one, Psalm 139, he writes, and he says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. Let me just pause and just say that right there. He knows when you're traveling what you're doing. Your wife may not know, but he knows. That wasn't in the notes, but just threw that in there. Somebody, he needed to hear that. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest sea, Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even to darkness I cannot hide from you. To see the night shine as bright as day, darkness and light, they're the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. We could stop there for a moment too. Because some of you think God's out to get you. Some of you think God is a mean bully in the sky with a big old billy club and he just can't wait for you to get out of line so he can knock you in the head and put a big lump on your head. 
It's not what the psalmist said. The psalmist said, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. In this uh, class somewhere in the next two or three weeks, we're going to, and I'm going to talk a little bit tonight, but we're going to talk a little bit about the man. We're talk about the man and his wife. We're going to talk about the man and his kids. Uh, but we're going to st- start talking about how to become a better, better father in, in this, in this uh, class in a couple of weeks. Um, talk about how incredibly important it is for fathers to validate their children, to affirm their children, um, because children get their self-worth from their father. And one of the reasons why that men get their self-worth from what they do is be, it, it, when, that is the, when, when that is the case is because they didn't get their self-worth from their father. They didn't get the validation or the affirmation of their father. And, uh, and honestly, they're still trying to please daddy. Um, children get their self-worth from their fathers. The problem is absentee fathers. The uh, problem is fathers who abandon their families. Um, uh, fathers who are fathers in name only. Uh, fathers who are too busy making a living to make a life too busy providing things for their kids uh, and not providing the one thing that the kid needed the most. And that was the love, acceptance, affirmation from, from their fathers. Uh, and many of us in this room, and I say us, many of us in this room today were not validated by our Father. We're not affirmed by our Father. I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm telling you, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'll be open with you, be honest with you. Be, um, I was raised in a Assemblies of God pastor's home, but I did not receive the affirmation, uh, validation from my father as a, as a child. Fact of the matter is, as a child, I didn't think my father loved me. I didn't think my father cared about me. I didn't think my father liked me. And I, I'm still not sure he really did when I was a kid. <laughs> now, my father's in heaven, okay? And so I can't hurt my father, okay? And I would never hurt my father on purpose, um, but if I'm vulnerable with you, I can help somebody, okay? And, uh, but I want to go on record by saying that my father fixed it. My father fixed it. He, he did. And that's another story, and we'll get into some of that maybe, but my father fixed it, and I did receive affirmation, validation, love, affection, all of those things I got from my father, but not until I was an adult. I was... 20 years old before I got any of that. I just got a little bitty, a bit of that at that, at that age. Now, between the ages of 40 to 63, when my daddy passed away, I got a lot of it. And especially the last 20 years, last 15 years, got a lot of it. So I want to say that my daddy fixed it. If you can fix it, I don't know. But I, when my daddy died, I knew he loved me. When my daddy died, I knew he was proud of me. When my daddy died... We had no problem and didn't have any problem for many, many, many years, okay? But for many, many years, we did. So I know, I've been there, bought, done, been there, done that, bought the T-shirts, I know. Um, um, that where some of you, some of you are. And so I'm going to talk about some things and be vulnerable in some areas uh, for three reasons. First of all, so that, so that you know that I relate to some of you and what you went through as a child. Because I did not have a perfect childhood. I'm probably not a certain, it's probably not a such thing as that, but I, I, I had a very difficult childhood. Okay? 
I mean, there's probably a reason why you leave home at 17, get married, and go out. There's probably a reason. You know what I'm saying? Probably a reason. Okay? Did I marry a foxy little gal? And Yeah, I sure did. But, boy, it would have been a lot better if I would married her about three or four years later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then try and scratch everything out of the dirt as a 17-year-old kid. Okay? Probably been a whole lot easier on, on her, on me, and on us. But we did it, and we're still in love, and still, and you know, and that's 46 years, okay? But there's probably a reason. There's a reason behind everything, right? So I, I'm going to tell you, talk about that so you can know that I can relate. I'm not just talking theory. I'm not just, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. So I can, I can understand some of you. Uh, and so I can help you uh, not to repeat or pass on to your children what happened to you. And that's the problem is it goes from generation to generation to generation to generation. Somebody needs to break it off of that generation. And number three, so you can get healing. And you can get healing. There is healing for you. And it's not going to come from Dr. Phil. Okay, and I'm not against Dr. Phil, but it ain't coming from Dr. Phil. Not saying Dr. Phil couldn't help you, but it's not going to come through Dr. Phil. It comes through Dr. Jesus. And I want you to know I'm not a wounded soul. Uh, I'm healed, I'm healthy, I'm happy, and I have an incredible relationship, not only with my wife, but also with my children. And I say that not to brag, but to say the same can happen to you. With God's help, you can overcome anything. His help. So for those of us who were not affirmed or validated by our earthly father, what, what we didn't receive from our earthly father is available to, available to us in our heavenly father. See, God can be the father you never had. God can be the father you always wanted. God can be the father you always dreamed about. In fact, it's, it's a problem when we call God our heavenly father. It's a problem with a lot of people if they didn't have a good role model as a, for their earthly father. So, you know, sometimes when we talk about God, our Heavenly Father, there are some people say, oh, that's awesome, that's wonderful, that's awesome. And then, then there's some people that say, he's my father? Well, my father beat me. My father was mean to me. My father didn't like me. My father abused me. Well, in that case, think of him as the father you never had, as the father you always wanted, as the father you always dreamed of having. Like I said, my dad's in heaven. I can't hurt him. But I remember as a kid seeing other fathers and thinking, man, I, I wish he was my father or I wish my father was more like him. And a couple of years ago in this very lobby right here, a young lady in our church came up to me after church and she was talking to me and she, with tears in her eyes, she looked up at me and she said, I... I wish you were my father. I wish you were my father. Well, maybe your father wasn't all that he should have been, all that you, he needed to be for you. But God, your heavenly father, can be that father for you that you always wanted, that you always dreamed about, that you always wished for. You know, when my kids were born, I... Uh, immediately they held that little <laughs> wrinkled uh, flesh in my hands, you know. And I looked down in that wrinkled flesh and instantaneously I fell deeply in love with that child. The minute I laid eyes on When my grandkids were born, I, 
and they put the grandchild in my, in my, in my arms, I, I immediately fell madly over crazy in love with him. They couldn't walk. <laughs> they couldn't talk. They couldn't work. <laughs> they couldn't say my name. They couldn't do anything for me. All they could do was lay there, spit up, poop, cry. But I was madly crazy in love with them. Why? Because they're mine. Mine. They came from me. Mine. God is madly in love with you. Crazy about you. Why? Because of what you can do for him? Don't flatter yourself. He's God. What can you do for God? What could the creation do for the creator? Because what you could give give him? What could the creation give to the creator? The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, we could abbreviate the sentence and just simply say in the beginning God. That's a big deal. He's a big deal. And God is madly in love with you. Why? Because you are because you're his. Because you belong to him. And not only do you belong to him, you are his greatest creation. You know, I love your kids and I love your grandkids. But I love mine more. Sorry. I told you I was going to be honest with you. I love your kids. I love your grandkids. But I love mine more. I look at my kids. I look at my grandkids differently than I look at yours. To me, mine are the prettiest Best looking, that little grandson of mine, man, I mean, he, best looking kid I ever laid eyes on. Best little boy, I better make that right. To me, my kids, my grandkids, they're the prettiest, the best looking, they're the smartest, they're the best, and I could brag on them all night long. I'm pretty sure that you look at your kids and grandkids and think the same of yours. If you don't, you should. (laughs) Psalm 139 that we read a moment ago tells us how special we are to God. All of us, we are, why are we special to him? Because we are his creation. We are his greatest creation. We, We belong to him. Talking about whose we are. Whose we are. Children desperately need to be affirmed and validated by their earthly fathers. This is where their self-worth comes from. And when they don't get it from their earthly father, oftentimes girls become promiscuous, looking, searching, or affirmation and validation from that male figure that they did not receive it from called dad. Some boys turn to homosexuality in search of that male validation, affirmation they didn't receive from their father. Now, I'm not saying that this, is all, this always happens. Of course, it does not. I'm not saying that's 
the only reason for promiscuity, for homosexuality, or any of these things, but it is a contributing factor. And we also know that at the end of the day, everyone makes their own choice. All right, let's get back to my point. To become a better man, we must understand whose we are. We don't get our self-worth from what we do. We get our self-worth from whose we are. And we're God's child. And God don't make no junk. Amen? Now, I've used this illustration before, but some of you have not seen it before. It doesn't matter. It bears repeating, but I've got a really nice, crisp, $50 bill here. How many of you like to have it? The rest of you are liars. How many would like to have this crisp, nice $50 bill? How many still wants it? How many still wants it? I mean, he still wants it. How many still wants it? You still want it? Why do you still want it? Because it what? It what? It's, but say what you said. Say it loud. It what? It what? It what? Some of you don't think you have any value because you've been crushed. You've been stepped on. You've been spit on. You've been abused. Maybe you've been, you've been molested. still have the same value to God you're still valuable you're still valuable you're valuable because of whose you are you belong to him amen I think I'll keep I think I'll keep the 50 You know, you might be like me. I was an oops baby. My mom and dad already had three kids. Two of them were boys. They didn't need another boy. They didn't need another kid. Mom had a a miscarriage somewhere in the middle of all that, too. They didn't need another kid. Dad didn't need another mouth to feed. That's probably why he didn't like me. Because honestly, I was just the byproduct of my father's passion. I was. To my father. To my earthly father. But not to my heavenly father. To my heavenly father, I wasn't a oops. I wasn't a slip-ums. I wasn't a unplanned. I was on purpose. And so were you. Might have been an oops, an accident, a surprise to my earthly mother and father, but I was no oops or accident or surprise to my heavenly father. And neither were you. God's word says that he chose to create us. It says that he has a specific plan for us. It says that he loves us with an unconditional love. It says that he is proud of us. It says that he takes great delight in us. You'll never become a better man until you discover your self-worth. And it's not necessarily in the affirmation and validation of your earthly father, even though that is very, very, very vital and very important. It's not in what you do, your job or your career, but it is in whose you really are. You are a child of God. 
And let me say one last thing to those uh, who did not receive affirmation or validation from your father as a child. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can become bitter or you can become better. See, the lack of attention from my father drove me to give attention and give affirmation to my kids. It drove me. Instead of repeating what my father did, it drove me to be a better father. It drove me to make sure my kids knew that they were loved and they were affirmed. And so for both my son and my daughter on different occasions, I took my, my son with me out, on a, out, on the, uh, out for a drive and we drove out in the country and I drove... And I stopped the car, and I looked over at my son, and I told my son, I said, son, I just want you to know that if I had the opportunity to choose any little boy in the whole wide world to be my son, Chad, I want you to know I choose you. And I took my daughter on a little ride, and we went out into the country, and I pulled the car over on the dirt road, and I looked at my daughter and I said, Krista, I just want you to know if your daddy had the opportunity and the chance of, of, of choosing any little girl in the entire world, you could line up every little girl in the whole world to be my little girl. Krista, I want you to know I choose you. I'm not saying that to try and make myself look good, anything. I'm saying... If you were not validated, if you were not affirmed by your father, you have a choice to make, and you can be be bitter or you can be better. And one other thing, and that is I, I took the initiative with my father. Again, I'm not trying to paint a picture that I'm so great or whatever. I'm just telling you that I'm going to help somebody. I, I took the initiative with my father. My father didn't did not come to me and say, you know, I messed up and I should have, you know, I should have affirmed you and I should have told you I loved you and I, I should have done, and I, no, no, I went to my father <laughs> and I told him, you know, I told him, I said, Dad, I'm 19 years old and I've never one time in my entire life have ever heard you say you love me or ever tell me you were proud of me. I was bawling like a baby. He bawled like a baby. He said, you're absolutely right, son. He said, I didn't know how. He said, my dad cussed me and kicked me. He said, I never cussed my kids. I never kicked my kids. He said, I, I, you know, but I, I, I did a little bit better than my father. Hopefully you'll do better with yours. But from that day forward, and my father had never hugged me. He never hugged me. And I grabbed him and I hugged him. And it was very, you know, it's like hugging a brick wall. Very uncomfortable, very weird, very strange. And the first two or three times that we hugged, I hugged my dad. He didn't hug me, I hugged him. But it broke down some walls, and then he began to hug me, and, and he, uh, uh, he um, w- would hug me. He would never leave without hugging me and telling me that he was proud of me and that he loved me and he's proud of my family and it's not too late it's not too late and uh, and he tr- and he started hugging the other kids and I I know this is being recorded and so I'm going to turn this mic off for about 30 seconds got a choice to make we can come become bitter or we can become better and somebody needs to reach out to their father it should be the father's job but he ain't gonna happen you need to do it and it may or may not be received well it may or may not work but at least you put forth the effort amen
Is that okay? All right, two things I want from you today. We're just about finished. Get your, number one, get your self-worth from whose you are. Allow your Heavenly Father to affirm and validate you. Fact of the matter is, your Heavenly Father wants me to tell you that He loves you. Your Heavenly Father wants me to tell you that He loves you. Your Heavenly Father wants me to tell you that He's proud of you. Your Heavenly Father wants me to tell you that He wants to hang out with you. You know, the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. We used to sing an old hymn that says, draw me nearer, Lord. That's not scriptural. God says, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. God wants to hang out with you. He wants to spend time with you. Draw nigh to God, and he will. Crawl nigh to you. And then the second thing that I want to tell you, and that is be a better earthly father to your kids than your father was to you. Be the father to your kids that you wanted your father to be to you. Don't become bitter, but let the adversity that you went through drive you to become better. The first step to becoming the man God wants you to be, the man who will succeed as a husband and a father and a grandfather, the first step is to, to discover whose you are. Father, I just pray tonight that you will take uh, this scattered uh, lesson and you will use it. I, I don't know who they are, but there's men in this room who need healing, who have emotional scars that they carry with them. They need healing. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us bring healing. But you don't need our help, Lord. You're the healer. I pray you'll give these men courage to do what they need to do and give them hope and uh, help us become better men so that when we become a better man, that will make us a better husband, that will make us a better father, that'll make us a better worker, that'll make us a better neighbor. We become a better man, we'll be better in every area. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.